Invest in yourself today with our Insider Pro product, which gives you the career path to reach the next step in your cybersecurity journey. Join today on cyberaid.it using the discount code podcast. In this episode of the Cyberaid podcast, we sit down with Tim Winkler, the founder and CEO of Hatch IT. Speaking with Mike Gruen, the CISO, and Katie Wanke, the head of people from Cyberry, Tim explains the mission of Hatch IT and how they are changing the recruiting space. So today we have uh, Tim Winkler from Hatch IT. Welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. For, Thank you for joining us. Yeah. Hey, Tim. Hey. Welcome. Thank you. Sure. Uh, I'm Katie. I'm head of people here at Cyberry. Uh, and this is Mike Rowan, VP of Engineering and CISO at Cyberry. And I'll let Tim introduce himself. Yeah, I'm uh, Tim Winkler, the founder and CEO of Hatch IT. Um, we are a, a boutique technology recruitment consulting firm uh, with kind of a, a community-driven focus, um, specializing in helping scale out uh, early-stage and high-growth product startup companies throughout D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So, yeah, today we wanted to talk about sort of the trends we're seeing in the area, especially D.C., sure. uh, in software engineering and tech. Um, maybe that's a great place to start. What are you sort of seeing? Yeah, from- sure. So, uh, you know, growing up in this region, um, I think the reason I kind of curated Hatch IT as a specialized firm was because uh, growing up in D.C., uh, this is a, a services, government services-based hub. Um, so you get a, a ton of the IT government contractors out there, um, consulting shops, um, but um, uh, around 2014, 2015 is when um, I had uh, previously established uh, an IT consulting recruitment firm that was kind of dabbling in all areas of IT, security, um, but didn't really have like a core identity. Um, and around that 2014, 2015 timeline, we started to see this trend of product companies coming into the region. Mm-hmm. Um, the likes of companies like Living Social, um, O-Power was a really big one. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, with that came this injection of venture capital. Uh, and we saw a trend happening where it wasn't all government services, but uh, there was this new startup vibe that was kind of creeping in. And uh, we, we were excited about that. We wanted to be a part of that. Um, but we knew that from a recruiting perspective, you know, that that was a very different culture uh, to adapt to versus, you know, hiring for a, uh, a, an NSA contract that got dropped that needs 300 billets filled. Um, this is more of a, a curated uh, boutique small team uh, that's going to be working on a product. Um, so when it comes to developing, you know, maybe shipping code quicker, thinking about uh, an end user um, or, uh, you know, from a B2C perspective or a B2B app, uh, that um, uh, is a very different environment just from a development standpoint. And so uh, w- across the board in this area specifically, you know, there was a lot of recruiting firms that just, you know, claimed to be jacks of all trades. And, uh, you know, you need an IT person. Sure, you know, uh, you got Java, JavaScript, we'll, we'll find it for you. Um, but there was a disconnect when it, for, in a couple of ways. One, where it came to... Um, you know, adapting to a startup's budget, right? On on how they identify talent. You know, the the, the um, a transactional piece of recruiting where it's high dollar contingency fees, and you know, here's your here's your candidate, here's your paycheck, and, and see you later. We thought that that was going to have to change. Uh, that was a problem in the area, um, and then also just being really 
focused in on uh, product talent or, or engineering talent that was centered around product versus maybe folks that were not so um, dialed in on that type of a development or that type of philosophy. Um, and so we wanted to create a firm that catered to that market. Um, and then we solely focused within uh, creating a network and community around us that was uh, engineers that were either coming out of these product companies that were evolving uh, that could adapt into those types of, of environments. So that was the um, the true uh, reason we created Hatch IT. Um, and since then, you know, we've seen uh, exactly what we predicted, a, a huge uptick and those types of companies a huge uptick in venture capital getting uh, pumped into the area. Um, and so, um, and also a, a large amount of these companies just scaling large product engineering teams. And uh, we wanted to be centered around that. So that's what we did. That's very cool. Yeah. And I can definitely relate to the, um, you know, I've been working in the area since 96. Mm-hmm. Um, originally, it was a professional services company. Mm-hmm. We were a product team within it. But a lot of my career was at professional services or government services and the development. The mindset, the technique, everything is. There's a little bit of a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, at a product company, engineers have have to have more um, say or, or uh, be more empowered to make the decisions because you know, and and understand what the product that they're building. Whereas with a lot of services, you're you're doing it for somebody else. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who are making all the decisions. Sure. And so it's a it's definitely different. And as you've probably seen from your your, your previous startup. Uh, experiences or with Cyberry today, you know, it's a, uh, it's a very different culture stepping into a early stage uh, or even, you know, a company that's a hundred employees. There's a very different, uh, you know, set of, uh, you know, standards in terms of, you know, your job description might be a little bit different from day to day. Um, mm-hmm. We might need you dabbling in something that you didn't completely sign up for, but um, it takes utility players to, to, in order for a startup to thrive. And, um, making sure that those types of folks are, um, you know, uh, well aware of that getting in the door is is something that, you know, is not so common in an area that's never predominantly been a, a startup hub. Right. So why do you think there's been such an injection of capital and energy focused on like VC funded companies and just startups in general here, given you're from the area and you've been able to see this so much? Yeah. So, you know, services companies, they've got, you know, a pretty... Uh, healthy revenue stream already. In fact, we see what we do see as well is, you know, this area, since there's a lot of companies that start off as services companies, they use that revenue to uh, kind of fuel um, their product. Um, but uh, for the companies that are just starting off from scratch as a product company, um, they're, uh, you know, a lot of that, a lot of that funding is going to go injected into uh, product research, um, identifying uh, you know, hiring up that that engineering talent, um, but for this specific region, um, I think it's certainly appealing to have companies that do have connections to Intel, uh, government sector, uh, defense, um, so they can kind of play both fields. So you'll see a lot of companies maybe that come out that are selling products that are catering to a government uh, arena, uh, but also they'll slow roll out like. Uh, a commercial sector as well. So it might start off 70%, 80% a product that's catered to some government government services. um, And then the other 20, 30% start to roll into commercial. Um, And maybe I I see companies that are, you know, trying uh, to uh, build out like an area here to, to get their foot in the door within that government space where they maybe didn't have that reach. And you see that, um, I think a lot of times just because of the 
uh, such a healthy cyber uh, arena here. Mm-hmm. Um, cyber tech and health tech are the two of the top that we see in this in this area. Yeah, I think there's a lot of right. There's a lot of industry art here. I think the cybersecurity definitely stems from the government uh, and that you know that presence. And then I also think that some of the universities. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of universities in the area that are very top quality engineering. University of Maryland College Park, my mm-hmm. alma mater. Yeah. Um, so Name I think job. that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I think that plays a large part in it as well. I mean, uh, you have Johns Hopkins, you have all these different um, For sure. programs. That, and I think that also, if you look at where there's other hubs, Boston, big college town. For sure. Was that a, Well, it's funny you mentioned that because we just, uh, uh, so we've been based in this area for seven years now, uh, supporting just a hyper-local presence within D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. So we always say DMV. Uh, we spell it out because if you're not from the DMV, you, you <laughs> think that you're talking about going to get your license renewed. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, we're expanding into the Raleigh region. Um, uh, mm. We just hired our first salesperson out of uh, uh, Chapel Hill. Uh, he got his MBA program there. Mm-hmm. And we selected that, uh, curated because uh, of its healthy talent pool, which stems out of UNC, Duke, and NC mm-hmm. State. Um, and so I agree with you that it's, um, it's a great university presence here. Uh, and from that, you, you'll always see a, a nice uh, talent pool kind of get curated from that. Yep, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah. Um, so I think what, a lot of the stuff that you were talking about in terms of um, hiring had a lot more to do with the intangible stuff than, say, the specific tech skills. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're talking to candidates, is that something you're assessing? What are you sort of looking for? Yeah, um, so... One of the things that you know we'll look for, well, one of the big things in this area as well is going to be uh, diversity. Uh, is something that uh, we specifically get requests uh, to uh, identify more of a diverse pool. DC actually is is one of those areas that uh, flourishes when it comes to uh, diversity. Uh, women in tech, uh, it's it's a very dialed in area here. Um, but um, in terms of the intangibles, so we find. Uh, you know, VPs, CTOs, um, ideally looking for folks that have come from uh, startup environments, if possible, right? Um, That was a lot more difficult five years ago when there weren't as many companies to kind of hand select from. Um, But um, uh, if they don't specifically come from a startup environment, uh, again, one one of those ideal scenarios would be somebody who uh, is able to adapt quickly to maybe new frameworks. Uh, if you're specifically talking like JavaScript, right? There seems like a new framework coming out every every month or two. Mm-hmm. Um, so somebody who can kind of uh, pick up and, and almost be language agnostic, I think, is a really appealing skill set. Um, soft skills, again, would be uh, those types of folks who are um, uh, able to adapt to a fluid environment. Um, you know, something that, uh, you know, we're, we're working on on this one specific area and then we're going to pivot real quick. We need, it's going to try this feature out. So we need you to be able to, to jump into a new uh, environment quickly and, and be able to, you know, to roll with those punches are, are some of the soft, soft skills that we would see. Yeah, definitely. We see that here. Um, one of the big things we try and do is uh, sort of embrace change in the sense of its iterations. We're going to iterate to success. Mm-hmm. We're going to try something and if it's not working, we're going to figure out why and we're either going to decide to to continue to iterate or we're going to abandon it and move on. And I think um, my experience with, you know, there's different types of engineers uh, and some react very differently to that. They mm-hmm. feel like, oh, what was the point of doing that? What did we, you know, it was just wasted effort. Yeah. Um, so because it didn't see the light of day. But you know what, there, we actually did learn a lot from that. And right. so I think having people that are willing to embrace that is a very, very important part. I think sure. that's astute of you. 
And I think also like, um, you know, trying to get folks into this mindset that, you know, it's, it's going to be, you're, you're looking for that longer term commitment, right? Where I think in tech in general, it's just tough because, you know, the average life shelf of a, an engineer is typically around two years uh, within a product company. And then they'll start to see what else is out there. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that, you know, stems from they always want to be learning something new too. So if you, if you're mindful as a, as a manager or, or VP or wherever it might be, uh, just knowing that, you know, giving them some exposure into some other technologies could just really help with talent retention uh, in the event that they're working on the, the same old, you know, legacy code they've been right. working on for years. It, they, they, you know, cause they're probably getting contacted by other folks uh, to, you know, get some, get some experience in the most, uh, you know, exciting new features of of Python, you know? And so if you're not adapting in that environment too, then, um, it could be a detriment to you retaining talent. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know I've had plenty of conversations. Uh, I remember one very specifically with the company that I worked for where I was, I said, you know, I'm, I'm sort of bored doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you know your sort of choices are like move me into a different project mm-hmm. and still have me here to consult on this thing that you feel I'm key, mm-hmm. but like let's figure out a transition or I'm leaving, yeah. and then you don't have anybody. So let's try and figure that out. So yeah. it was a difficult conversation, but I had a good relationship with the manager, and we we found another you know we found a place for me and stuff. Yeah. So but it's that same thing, and I try and keep that in mind as well, making sure that people have opportunities to do new things, try new things. Um, Experiment, because yep. yeah, you don't. Most engineers don't start looking for a job just because. It's usually because right. they're bored, or they're greatly undervalued, or feel underappreciated. Right. So when you're yeah. starting to talk to people about like, hey, like, how can we help you? Mm-hmm. And that, do you kind of put in like a like, are are you open to this for your engineers? Are you open to ensuring that anyone we help? find for your company, you're going to be able to support them in this way because this is the kind of candidate that you're going to be getting. Yeah. You kind of have like a really like truthful kind of conversation at the forefront. Yeah, for sure. I think one of the reasons that we're able to have those types of transparent conversations with founders and CTOs is we had to come up with a program um, that adapted to uh, a startup, not just from a, a budget perspective, um, but they needed something that was a little bit more relational. Um, so my background started within outsource recruiting. So I had start, I'd seen the agency side of things, which are you know, large staffing agencies like your Robert Halfs, your mm-hmm. Aerotechs. Um, I got uh, pulled out of that quickly, thank goodness, uh, because it is just a cutthroat, <laughs> uh, awful culture. Um, but uh, got pulled into a, a small startup outsource consultancy Uh, called Employer Services Corporation. It was acting as a recruitment process outsourcing firm. Um, We were recruiting SAP consultants for IBM and Accenture, but we were doing it entirely virtually. Um, And um, that that concept always stuck with me. And I wanted to, uh, you know, create a company that was going to work off of that foundation. And what turned out to be really um, uh, uh, harmonious was the fact that I was able to plug that right into a startup's recruitment process, which, you know, so a startup typically isn't going to hire um, a recruiter or a, uh, or like a head of people until maybe they hit that 40, 50 employee mark. Um, a lot of times it doesn't make sense because there's a lot of, you know, pausing and uh, holding and then turning it up and then turning it off. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was a model, it's called scale. Um, and, uh, it's geared around longer term partnerships uh, designed to help in building out all of their engineering product team. So recruiting for all of their engineering product or data needs uh, across the organization. Um, but we do it in a much more relational uh, uh, 
a partnership. So uh, it would be a six month or 12 month type of engagement. It's usually geared towards higher growth companies. So if you're hiring, you know, 10 to 20 engineering product folks over the course of a year, uh, this might be a good fit for you. Um, and uh, the way it works is, you know, we integrate with your Slack. So it's, you know, if you're a, if you're a founder and it's eight o'clock at night and you need to, you need to quickly, you know, ping us about an interview, we're right there to respond to it. Uh, sometimes that's to our detriment, but um, <laughs> it is something that they see as appealing. We do weekly standups so we, so we can constantly recalibrate, you know, what are the hottest needs right now? Who are the candidates in queue? Um, Cause uh, priorities are always shifting. Um, and so when it comes to uh, being able to have that transparency and that comfort with a founder, uh, we're able to give them a little bit more from a consultative standpoint about, you know, a good example of this is a, a company that's out in Sterling, Virginia. You know, they're building their product with Scala. And Scala is not a, a programming language that's very fruitful in this region. Mm-hmm. Um, and so part of what we do is give them uh, a talent market analysis. So we'll go through our own you know, intellectual tools and our database and kind of let them know, okay, here's what we've come up with from engineers in the area that are working within Scala. Um, pretty slim, pretty slim pickings. Um, now, a way that you can maximize your reach is first off, the DC, the DMV is is so distributed, right? So I I live in Leesburg, so I drove I drove an hour to get here, and to think that if I was an, uh, an engineer to come to Cyberary five days a week, right. probably not going to happen. And ex- ex- explicitly because I came non-traffic hours for, right, for right. on purpose, um, you add traffic to the mix, and it turns into an hour and forty-five minutes. And so one of the things that we do is let them know, hey. Look, if you're if you can have some flexibility on telecommuting for maybe a day or two, um, you'll get extend your reach into areas of Maryland, D.C., um, and attract these other pools of talent that maybe they don't know about because they're not constantly looking probing the market for where these engineers exist. What we ended up eventually doing was uh, a market analysis for a satellite office for them, mm-hmm. um, and compared areas like Nashville. Um, Pittsburgh, Atlanta, Baltimore, um, and Raleigh. And we ended up settling on Raleigh and started to build out a satellite office for them uh, because it had a much more fruitful Scala uh, talent pool. Yeah, I don't think there's a big talent pool for Scala in Baltimore, having <laughs> having worked up there. Not quite. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what other types of things do you talk to you about, to specifically the hiring manager or the founders that you're sort of working with? What else do you sort of advise sure. and help them? So I think... Um, Compensation is something that always needs to be looked at in the engineering space. Um, it's kind of crazy how quickly in the last three years, salary ranges have spiked maybe twenty, thirty thousand dollars. Um, you know, uh, for an average compensation, um, it's it's not it's not a surprise uh, just because of this supply and demand uh, equation that right. equals you know what are you willing to pay? You've got companies like Capital One in this area that are the giant when it comes to hiring engineers, um, and also when it comes to inflating salaries. Uh, you know they've been uh, able to um, you know recruit a ton of great talent just because mm-hmm. they can afford it. Uh, and when you think about a startup's budget, it's really you know. You want folks that aren't in it for just the dollars and cents. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want folks that are passionate about what you're building, or um, you know maybe you're working with some really innovative technology. Um, but you have to come to the forefront with some selling points on that front. Um, equity, you know, is is always something that uh, seems to be a foreign concept sometimes still in this area. Um, you know, if you're 
if you're building out at those early stages, um, being able to accommodate some some creative areas to supplement where you might not be able to from a pure base salary standpoint. Another big one is is telecommuting. So, mm-hmm. you know, every engineer uh, that we speak to, you know, we usually ask them what are the you know, top three things that that are important to you, and usually it's going to be working with really neat technology, something progressive. Um, not not .NET or something uh, old school here, uh, but you might uh, also want you, you would also hear, um, you know, a, a work life balance is becoming more and more sought after. So that's where that telecommuting can become a really appealing selling point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then compensation is going to be the uh, a number top three for these folks. So knowing those things, um, being able to uh, come come to the table with some some ideas to either shift in one or the other. In my personal opinion, the telecommuting is going to be the, the one that is probably easiest to, uh, uh, to, to turn, turn on. Um, but you do need to be able to manage that from a, you know, from, you know, from a VP's perspective, mm-hmm. if you've never managed remote teams or understand how to, you know, roll out tools to facilitate that, it's, it's not going to end well. Right. Yeah. And, and then there's a lot of, I'm sorry. No, we've, we've been in this, we actually have this discussion quite a bit. And, you know, if we do talk about expanding um, remotely in a a larger way, are they going to get the professional development support they need? Are they going to get even just how can we make sure that they feel included into the team? Mm -hmm. You know, because so much of what people sign up for too is the culture. Yeah. Um, And so how do we kind of like export that culture Mm -hmm. to wherever this person may be sitting or whatever time zone they're sitting in? So, And I think, you know, the balance of a day or two is what the, the, the right recipe is, in my opinion. Mm. Like if it's 100% remote, it's super difficult. Um, our business, we, we work from home three days a week and we come into Tyson's two days a week. We chose Tyson's for a reason because it's a pretty central area throughout the DMV. Um, but um, those two days are so valuable for us to... Uh, to just kind of bond um, to, you know, you don't realize there's so many things that you exchange ideas on in person mm-hmm. that you never would have if you had to ping you on Slack about. Right. Um, but, um, you know, if it was just like a day or two and maybe you start to slow roll it out, uh, where it becomes an issue are the companies that have never done any telecommuting and then they decide to turn that on um, because what it, what happens is, you know, you'll have, you know, the other employee come up and say, well, you know, I just saw John got a couple of days. I'd mm-hmm. like to get a day or two as well. And if you don't have that as a part of like your hiring plan, almost like you're interviewing for folks that can operate autonomously, it might be disruptive for them to then, you know, go work remote. And then next thing you know is, you know, ESPN had some great highlights <laughs> on and now, you know, you, you lost John's attention. Right. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think on, uh, with regard to the remote, um, I think one of the other big things about being in person mm-hmm. is the whiteboard. Mm-hmm. There still is not a good virtual, yeah, whiteboard, virtual whiteboard in the world. And I think for engineering in particular, that's a that's a actually a big piece. Yeah. Just being able to go over stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and I think when it comes to telecommuting at my last job and as a manager, a lot of times I just sort of more look at it in terms of outcomes. Uh-huh. I'm curious if you see sort of the same thing of, hey, I'm I'm okay with people telecommuting provided work is getting done. Um, and if it's not, then we're going to have a conversation right. and, you know, about potentially being in the office more or yeah. whatever it is. And it's, it's been fairly successful. I'm curious. It's easy for us as a, as a company because, you know, it's deliverables are very in your face. Like mm-hmm. the data doesn't lie. You know, if there's only 
one candidate that you've talked to in the last <laughs> month. I'm going to question what you've been doing. But, um, yeah, I think as long as you put in place some clear-cut deliverables too, like from a management perspective, and um, it's something that, you know, you can talk to them about on a weekly, you know, monthly, quarterly basis. And then if it's not working, then maybe you have to come up with a different plan. Um, one other thing that I wanted to bring up that uh, refers to the um, ways of getting creative uh with bringing in talent um, is being a little bit more open to this idea of language agnostic. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the the companies that build with Scala and that's all that they're willing to to look at, you know, when you have that talented pool, you know, if it's not the telecommuting and you still want folks to come in five days a week, uh, maybe consider somebody who's got some, some experience with maybe another functional programming, you know, language that, that might carry over, um, you know, the idea of engineers being able to to learn new technologies, um, if the company's willing to invest in that, uh, could be super fruitful in terms of finding talent uh, in, in other areas that maybe you wouldn't be able to find them. And I'm sure, you know, from Cyber's perspective, and it probably speaks to your all's mission as well. Right, definitely. I mean, um, I've definitely had that experience. Um, I think coming out of the University of Maryland, I used to say the most important thing I learned, you know, in the CS program at Maryland was how to learn a language. Um, they exposed me to a bunch of different types mm -hmm. of languages and it made it so much easier when I started, you know, a job and I was like, oh, now I'm doing C, now I'm doing C++, now mm -hmm. I'm doing Java. I'm super old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so that type of stuff. And I, I agree. I think um, what I look for more than anything is the soft stuff, the, mm -hmm. are they open-minded? Mm -hmm. Um, are they a critical thinker? Uh, are they self-aware? Do they know what they know and know what they don't yeah. know? Uh, and then, you know, I can look and see like, oh, well, they've spent their entire career in one language. That's, you know, and it's not the language I'm looking for, but right. if I see someone who's got exposure to lots of different languages or even a handful and I feel comfortable that they're going to be able to learn it, I'll, I'll take that chance. Sure. Um, especially considering, you know, this area, it's, ton of Java talent. Yes, because um, because you know a lot of government was mm -hmm. built with, and you know not to to bash the government, but legacy Java. Uh, whereas now it's you know they're they're bringing up to speed in, in other areas of more modern Java. But mm -hmm. um, Python is a great example, right? right. Like, there's only a handful of Python shops in this in this region. So if you're building a a data heavy you know product, um, you know Python's going to work great with that. You're going to want somebody who can maybe come in and and pick up Python, and 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 honestly, that's a great selling point because engineers love Python. It's one of the most sought after. Right. Um, so you know, being able to have that flexibility will will go a long way. What about um, agency? Just the like comparing big company to small company. Um, for me, the reason why I've always chosen, or not always, but I tend to go to the smaller company is I have a lot more impact. Even as a lowly mm -hmm. software engineer at my second job, um, what I did day to day had direct impact. The CEO knew who I was, knew what mm -hmm. I was working on. Mm -hmm. Is that a? Do you see that as a big selling point between, say, a startup and a uh, like a Capital One? Yeah, fantastic example. Um, I think that's going to be something that's going to help protect a lot of startups when Amazon comes into into town. Uh, well, they're already in town, right? right? <laughs> um, but you know the uh, the selling point of being able to you know that whole example of a, a big fish in a small pond right. versus the small fish in an ocean of Amazon. I think is it it really is something. I know when I think back to my development as an employee, you know I was always looking for the 
the way to stand out. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a lot more difficult when you're in a team of hundreds and thousands. thousands. Yeah. Uh, it's really difficult. And then you get to see your impact a lot quicker um, when you're working on that, you know, that engineering team of 15 to 20 um, and you're able to collaborate with the product folks and really like, hey, I got an idea on a, a feature. You guys hear me out on this. Like it's something that um, you could just go next door and knock on the VP's door. Uh, you know, not so much a, a realistic thing when you work for Capital One or Amazon. Does this become a Capital One bash no, session? No, not, no, not, 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 not even close. We love Capital One. Yes, we do. Um, I use them. I got a smart um. card in my wallet. <laughs> but to that same point too, um, I would say that uh, a lot of people ask me during my phone screens. So, you know, what makes it special for you? Why mm-hmm. do you, what have you liked about working at Cyberry? Um, And I can say not only for this job, but also my previous job is like, we get to shape the culture. Yeah. You know, so many people want culture as the selling point mm-hmm. um, for why they join a company and stay at a company. Um, and so to also use that and say like, but you have the opportunity to help shape it too. Yeah. What does um, the engineering culture look like mm-hmm. and how supportive are you of each other in your overall progression? Um, but then also you're shaping the overall company yeah. culture. So um, I think that's also like a big, big part that people are looking for. Yeah, on a I agree. Basis. There's the um, uh, there's a lot of value, and that's why you know when we when we developed you know the specific programs with Hatch was you know that those are the types of things that you don't get when you work with your traditional right. recruiting partners. Yep. You know, it's not so much about what's the culture and tell me about the environment and what's the size of the team. Um, it's more about what's the position and uh, just send me the, you know, send me the requirements and we'll, we'll find you someone, but it's not so simple as that. And that's where sadly it's even a a more costly, um, you know, uh, not just in terms of like the traditional fees, but then the cost of making that wrong hire uh, and -hmm. then having to backtrack, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. because you come to find out three months later that they weren't sold on the, on the company, they were sold on, you know, JavaScript and Python or whatever. Right. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, you know, it's, that's a, that's a broad example because they will have the opportunity to speak with folks that are internal within the company. But I think really making sure like that is dialed in from the start is so essential. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've seen that time and time again that, you know, for example, we, we don't, we don't really engage with with a a startup customer until we've had a chance to go and see their office and oh, wow. go out go out to lunch with them. Um, you know, have multiple conversations with with the founders, and mm-hmm. we kind of need to buy into it in order to be able to sell it. Especially when you talk mm-hmm. about translating that to one of the most difficult skill sets to recruit for, which mm-hmm. is just engineers, because they've got every opportunity under the sun at this mm-hmm. point to pick and choose from. Uh, you got to put your sales hat on, and you need to make sure that you know know the company, you know, the culture and as, as well as you can as a, as a third party. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, it, it, it was a no brainer for us that, you know, in order for this to be a, an effective model, it needs to be longer term and it needs to be more relational. Mm-hmm. And we need to get to know like, uh, you know, who, who this company is from the, the top down. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think that's why I've always, um, worked with boutique yeah. uh, recruiters. I mean, it also helps that my mom was a recruiter. Right. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I think I'm, atypical uh, in terms of my 
willingness to work with recruiters both as a candidate and as a hiring manager. Sure. Um, but definitely the very large firms um, I've never wanted to work with. They just I know what they do. They do keyword searching yep. against a database. Yep. They're not going to sell me. They're not going to sell my company. They're not going to be able to get that person excited about the opportunity, about the company. Yep. Um, and so we're going to miss out on the, the best candidates and what we're going to get are is everybody else who's just looking for a job. Right. Um, right. So I've definitely seen that. Um, do you think that plays a part um, in, like, for you, do you think that's a huge selling point that you um, you see, like, are the people are more, the startups are more open to working with a smaller company for that reason and they have a bad taste in their mouth from the larger firms or anything like that? Yeah, it's tough. Uh, you know, I was predominantly the salesperson for many years and it's an uphill battle once you... Because you're going up against, you know, um, thousands of firms that are out there that, mm-hmm. you know, pitch to be, you know, experts in the in the area and, you know, like the cyber coders of, of the world. <laughs> One of the things that's always been to our benefit is being hyper local. And I think knowing, you know, knowing the companies in the area has always been something that we we pride ourselves on. Of, you know, we know that there's these companies that have built with, you know, with Ruby or these companies that have built with Python um, and being able to hand select from these organizations and trying to figure out, um, you know, will they adapt well in this, in this company's environment? Um, it's not so easy to do in this area specifically because there, there are so many consulting services, mm-hmm. businesses that, that they look like they're a product company, but they're not and right. they're, uh, they're consulting and, um, you know, so having, having that pulse has always been helpful for us. Um, a big, a big piece of where we're going as a business is, um, uh, reinforcing this community, uh, backbone. Um, so one of the things that's been nice with this scale model is we've been able to, uh, bring our customers physically into the community by way of tech events. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now we're, we, we co-organize five uh, local tech meetup events, uh, including Python, Scala, uh, Node, uh, Kaggle, data science meetup. Um, and through that, we're able to align the companies that are building with those specific languages and bring in the CTOs or bring in the VPs uh, or the product folks in as keynote speakers uh, for, the, for an event, you know, once a month, um, and then surround them with a community of engineers that they're going to be educating or these engineers can learn from. Mm-hmm. And that just adds this whole nother layer of, you know, you feel like you know them a little bit better. Um, it's, it's, um, it's a way for us to kind of you know, make that connection. And that's kind of how we always tried to sell ourselves is, you know, we're, we're here to connect startups with engineers, not so much that there is a sometimes a negative perception when you hear the word recruiting or mm-hmm. you know, staffing, it, it can, it can kind of, be perceived in a negative light. Uh, when you bring events into the play, into the mix and you're able to kind of make that event come together, but you did it purposefully and bringing that, that CTO in because mm-hmm. they are doing something really neat with Python and data science. Uh, it's a, uh, a more natural way of, of recruiting. And, uh, uh, so we've, we've been doing that for the last year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're excited to kind of keep that as a part of our, our vision. So, so have you partnered with some, like you talked about, uh, I think, uh, was it women who code earlier? Women who code. Yeah. So yeah. have you kind of partnered with, um, other orgs like that in the area for some of these types of events? So we've actually done, uh, well, it's not specifically women who code, um, but uh, the Veneta project. Mm-hmm. Um, so they invest in 
uh, female founded companies. Uh, mm-hmm. We've been able to partner up with uh, some of the companies that have come through uh, uh, that arm, which has been really helpful for us to, uh, you know, to, to show that we're also trying to embrace uh, a diverse customer portfolio as well. Um, we, we like to partner up with some of the coding schools too, like Flatiron or General Assembly mm-hmm. to be able to embrace, in our opinion, you know, it's still tough for entry level engineers to find good opportunities, which mm-hmm. is sad, but, uh, you know, get, getting our, our, getting the option to, uh, surround ourselves with, uh, graduates, um, uh, get those engineers and take projects that they're working on and showcase them on our community site um, and be able to <clears throat> bring them into, uh, you know, into some of these companies that, that are hiring that maybe it's not listed on their, uh, on their careers page or, um, you know, they didn't come out and say that they're open to entry level, but when you're able to position those p- profiles in front of them and maybe they see it and they're like, well, maybe I'll, I'll talk to them. Right. Sometimes it just takes that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, uh, that's, that's some of the ways that we've been trying to diversify ourselves. Uh, but, um, the women who code is, is a, is a great, uh, platform too. Um, we're actively trying to, to do more work with them, uh, set up events with them as well. Um, and, uh, they've just got a really strong foundation and they're nationwide. Uh, but I think they started here, here in New York. I think they, they kind of, that, that's two of their like, uh, uh, local headquarters. So. <laughs> cool. Um, we've talked a lot about sort of the hiring manager of the companies and stuff like that. What, um, when you're talking to candidates or what could you say to candidates to help mm-hmm. them sort of prepare for the interview, interview process? Yeah. You know? So I'll speak specifically to on the engineering front. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, GitHub, uh, becomes more and more a common ask from the hiring managers. You know, can, can you send me their GitHub? Mm. Uh, and you know, we track a lot of activity in GitHub. Um, it's a great resource to really understand what projects, you know, these folks are working on, um, what they're contributing to, how do they work with open source software? Like that's mm-hmm. a huge, a huge thing. And if, and if they have never touched that, you know, there's a lot of things that go into it and understanding that they know they can navigate that, uh, is, is a, an important piece to a uh, hiring process. Mm-hmm. So, um, GitHub is something that we would say is a big selling point for an entry level that's trying to get their foot in the door. Uh, show some of the projects that you've worked on mm-hmm. independently, um, even though it might not be in a real world environment, but at least gives them the uh, the, the foresight that oh, you know, wow, they actually did some interesting stuff with with this code. Yeah, I mean, I can talk to that directly. We yeah. have one of the engineers I hired when you know I first saw his resume. I, we were looking for a particular type. He was a little more junior than what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Saw the GitHub, clicked it, and was like, "Wow, this is this is amazing." Sent it to uh, the link to a couple of the other engineers, and was like, "Do you think we should bring this guy in?" They're like, "Yeah, this is this is great." Yeah. Um, and so we ended up hiring him, um, and that was off the strength of the projects he had to show. Mm-hmm. Um, the work that he'd done both in GitHub, he had a private website, you know, his own personal website with right. um, some things running there. And it was just, yeah, no, clearly this is somebody who knows what they're doing, um, despite the fact that they may have only a couple of years of experience or yeah. a year of experience. We did it, the same thing at my last job too. It was all GitHub focused. And like, so we would find, so we would find people who yeah. contributed to some of my company's open source projects oh, wow. and we would just be like, okay, you're in, like, just come right on it. <laughs> See that? That's, that's a it great was example. Hugely, hugely valuable. I would say too, like, you know, one of the things 
you know, not every, every manager has a different hiring philosophy. Some of them only want to see computer science grads, you know, coming out of reputable schools. <laughs> um, we, you know, we just did a, an interview with a, a VP of engineering uh, yesterday and asked them, you know, this, you know, what, what's the development philosophy? You know, do you only look for CS grads? Is it, you know, is there a certain skill set that you always pull out? And he said, honestly, like, you know, our best engineer that we hired was a, an arts major, mm-hmm. an arts major, but, you know, had that mindset that just adapted well and then contributed to a bunch of projects on GitHub. They were able to see yeah. that, what that work looked like. Um, and, you know, sadly, like you, if you're not that computer science grad coming from a, a great university, that's that might be a nick against you with a lot of hiring managers. Mm-hmm. And so anything that you can do to to give you that extra push, um, GitHub is going to be a great way. Yeah, no, I agree. I think um, it for myself, a CS degree is a, a definitely a nice to have yeah. in certain circumstances, but not even in all circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody who's doing front end development, having an arts background is way more valuable. Yeah. Um, especially with the way the frameworks are today, and you know, it's it's the the coding of the front end, the actual software engineering part of it, the comp side. There's no you right. don't need to know how algorithms work, right. and how the architecture of a computer is like. It's just not necessary. Right. Um, when you start getting maybe more infrastructure or back end developer, then it becomes a little bit more important. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's interesting that um, you're seeing even at startups that there's still some people that would say they they're really only looking for a CS degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or what about degrees at all? I mean, do you see? Do you talk to people about like? Do you coding see, schools, not it, well, coding schools, maybe, but you know, are you seeing any kind of trend toward you know? Do you even need an undergrad, or do you feel like showing that experience is, is valid, or are you still seeing a trend toward like definitely having a, a degree? Yeah, I think it's becoming more uh, flexibility with not just uh, you know somebody who completed a four year degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also you know when you look at some of those founder stories that didn't that dropped out of school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's, it's not so much and, and call it what it is. I mean, there's also this education crisis where the cost of education is just so expensive that it's, you know, not surprising that maybe there's not as many folks that are entering those four year degrees or right. follow on grad programs. But, uh, the, the, the scrappy, you know, engineer that kind of self taught themselves, there's a lot of value to that resource too. Um, I think a part of this would be, you know, how, you know, I guess maybe how you're building your culture and how you, you want those folks to adapt. And when you and I talked, Mike, it was a lot about, um, you know, folks that can work amongst different teams and collaborate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's not a, not always a computer science degree. Right. You know? <laughs> um, but I would say, yeah, I think it's trending uh, towards being more open-minded. Mm-hmm. I think it has to just because there's still just a, a, not enough STEM folks out there. And I, I would um, hope that, you know, folks are open to at least having those initial conversations before you know, nixing them without even you know speaking to them. Mm-hmm. I think there's also just more platforms for people to learn on. Mm-hmm. I mean, like yeah. when, when I was coming out of school in '96, '97, the internet didn't really you know it was just getting started. It was fledgling. Right. '94, uh, you know, and so um, nowadays when I think about people who are earlier in their career, yeah, they have a lot more access. They don't necessarily need to go and get a four-year degree to get access to the same resources mm-hmm. that I needed. You know, I needed to go to college mm-hmm. to get access to those resources. My, you know, I didn't have the internet at home. Right. Um, but now I feel like you can you can really learn a lot on your own. I'm definitely open to someone um, 
who doesn't have that degree that mm-hmm. is scrappy, who has soft taught, um, mm-hmm. having worked with some of them as well. I mean, over the years, it's really uh, some of those, uh, many of them have become my go-to guys sure. uh, over the years. So. Yeah. yeah, that's and great. Gals. Yes. And gals. And I think that could also, <laughs> that, that should translate across uh, different departments too. You know, it mm-hmm. doesn't, not just for engineering, but, um, you know, folks that are, you know, marketing or, um, uh, finance. You know, I'm sure there's there's going to be those types of folks that maybe you know opted out of the the, the four year program, but mm-hmm. are still super intelligent and can and can contribute a lot. So, um, what else? I mean, from a candidate's perspective, uh, security is security an important thing, or certifications, mm-hmm. or certain things like that. Yeah, the the probably the hottest security piece that we're seeing is cloud security. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, with. You know everything being built in the cloud, uh, a lot of data being stored uh, in the cloud. Like uh, cloud security is becoming one of the most sought-after skill sets that we see uh, mm-hmm. on a daily basis. Um, again, the engineer that's not just uh, you know savvy when it comes to you know coding and programming, but uh, is building with security at the forefront, mm-hmm. and thinking thinking of how can I build this securely, um, is becoming something that's you know, more and more sought after as well, which is tough too. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, yeah, cloud security is, I would say, become just a, a dominant um, skill set that it's not going anywhere. It's still so early stage, and um, you know, being able to secure data and, and going and, and building technologies that are centered around security is it's it's so critical right now. Mm-hmm. And I think um, also. Uh, again, just the way technology has advanced, um, AWS, for example, gives mm-hmm. the software engineer so much capability uh, to spin up entire uh, infrastructure data centers that um, would normally have, you know, cost billions of dollars to construct. Right. And so I think software engineers in particular have um, more access to things that lead to, to bad outcomes in terms right. of like that's where most of the problems I've seen are is that the software engineer maybe isn't as familiar with how to sort of secure that infrastructure right. and now you're in a you know virtual private environment and they leave something open because they're not really you know they're just not trained in that so I think that's another area that getting even even if you're not planning on doing infrastructure understanding all of that because I think you're gonna have responsibility for it yeah I completely agree yeah. What's your prediction for uh, a new role that doesn't quite exist yet? Ooh. Ooh, a new role. So I think, you know, deep that whole area of deep learning is something that is really fascinating. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna predict that that's gonna be an area that's gonna continue to uh, become more and more sought after. Um, the uh, the the folks that are building. Um, you know, like uh, visual and audible technologies that are constantly learning from, you know, whatever it is that you're saying or looking at or, or doing. Um, it's a little scary, but it's also, mm-hmm. you know, cutting edge. And I think like also the idea of uh, wearables and, and, and collaborating software and hardware together mm-hmm. is, is something that Seems really fascinating. The return it, of it, Google Glass. Uh, yeah, no. But just, <laughs> is it coming I mean, back? Wearables. Is, we've been talking about wearables since ninety, whatever. So yeah. I'm, I'm a little skeptical on the wearables. <laughs> you, you, you didn't buy Fitbit stock that plummeted. Nope. <laughs> Good speaking yeah. of security. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Um, 
I think, thank you very much for joining us. I don't know. Did you have anything else you wanted to, to sort of talk about? Or? Yeah. I, last thing I would, I would uh, bring up would be that we are com- building a community site right now. Right. I thought that would be cool to, to plug in here um, <laughs> called the Hatchpad. Um, and the reason for that was <clears throat> there's a lot of sites out there that uh, engineers um, can go and learn um, about what's going on with maybe like trends with venture capital in the area. Uh, DCNO is great with that. I mean, we use yes. that as a resource to figure out what's going on from a you know, sales marketing perspective. Uh, one thing that we saw there might be a need for was uh, a common site where engineers, uh, product folks can come and learn a little bit more at a more micro level uh, of what startup companies or, or early stage high growth product companies are building, how they're building out uh, the technologies they're using. Uh, a little bit more of a, a closer look at the product. What kind of impact could they have on the technology coming in the door? So we started to create this uh, this site that was curated from us asking a number of engineers about what they would want on a, a community type site like this. Uh, and some of the things that's going to have on the ha- on, on the hatchpad would be uh, the ability to kind of sort through uh, similar like what AngelList has, um, but hyper local here on. Uh, you know, startups that are building with what technology throughout DC, Maryland, and Virginia. Um, there's going to be the ability to uh, sort uh, specific tech events based on tech stack mm-hmm. um, and uh, and and region as well. Uh, it is tough to navigate around here because it's like, well, you know, is Arlington a part of DC or uh, is Alexandria, and you know, where does Northern Virginia start and end? So we're, we wanted to 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 make that a little bit clearer for folks, um, spanning from Baltimore. Uh, to DC, out towards you know Reston, Leesburg, Loudoun mm-hmm. County area, um, and then an area for um, uh, d- developers to contribute their personal projects that they're working on, uh, and be able to uh, in version one, anyways, we'll just you know kind of like showcase them. But in version mm-hmm. two, uh, you know, almost like a hyper local GitHub where local engineers can work together and collaborate on projects, um, can kind of upvote projects they like, oh, cool. contribute to those. Uh, and then, of course, uh, uh, something that, Mike, you've been able to contribute on is a thought leadership area where uh, local uh, tech executives, leaders in tech uh, from local progressive companies in the area can speak about certain area, uh, certain topics that are, they're passionate about. Um, you know, if it's something technical, if it's about how they're managing distributed teams uh, and engineers and product folks can come in and learn about that stuff uh, firsthand on the hatchpad. Uh, so we're excited for that. That's, that's rolling out um, in, in about two weeks in February. Oh, congratulations. Uh, yeah, thank yeah. you. So uh, we'll take a few tips from you all, maybe get a, <laughs> our own podcast at some point as well. Welcome to record here. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long drive. <laughs> but thank you for having me. It's been, it's been really great being here. Yeah, it's been yeah. great having you. Thanks for coming. Thank, thank you. you. Hey, this is Thor. Thanks for listening to the Cyberry podcast and make sure to check back next Wednesday for our newest episode.